Hi, I'm Jacqueline Goddard, and this is Attica's Arts Creative Conversations podcast, where I talk to business and charity leaders about creativity and how they use it at work and at play. This week's guest is marketing copywriter and best-selling author of Survival Skills for Freelancers, Sarah Townsend. Enjoy. So uh, welcome to my podcast, Sarah Townsend, and it's lovely to have you here. Um, Sarah is a a freelance marketing copywriter and a best-selling author. And I've just heard that actually this time last year, before all this happened, Sarah, you hadn't even started writing the book. So this time last year, it was just an idea. So where did that Uh, come from? I didn't know that it was even an idea. I, I I wish I could pinpoint the moment where I thought, I know, I'll write a book. But I do know that certainly at Christmas 2019, it wasn't even on the table. And I used to I used to be quite outspoken about the fact that I would never write a book because I had quite a lot of people saying to me, oh, you should write a book about copywriting. And it was kind of like, what can I add that everybody hasn't already said in their own way? So I kind of never felt like I wanted to do that. And also I write for a living. So did I really want to spend all my spare time writing? No, I don't think I did. So yeah, it it just kind of happened. And then it kind of, um, yeah, came to fruition in a very fast and very intense way. But that's just me through and through. <laughs> if I'm going to do something, I have to be 100, 100 miles an hour, full on, 100% all the time. <laughs> yeah. so, so what was it that, that made you go, yes, I'm going to start writing all this down? And so did you do it in sections? I know the book is divided into uh, freelancing myths. Yeah. Uh, so how, how did you... How did it come about and, and how do you how did you start? So the book is based, as you say, it's actually got three kind of main sections. It's got kind of an intro section and then a middle bit, which is the, the practicalities and the things you might need to know. And then it goes on to section three, which is busting the myths. And the busting the myths bit was based on a blog post that I wrote in September 2019, I think. And I shared it on LinkedIn. And it was very much the heart and your sleeve reality, much as the book is, about um, the freelance lessons that I had learned through my 20 plus year career as a freelance copywriter and the response to that blog post was so positive and so encouraging and people saying why don't we talk about this stuff you know we need to be more open and honest about the realities of freelance life because it really doesn't help people when we pretend oh yeah you know freedom and flexibility and work when you like and where you like and charge good money for doing the thing you love yeah that's the brilliance of freelance life but it only really works that well as long as you know the things that I share in the book so those things took me 15 12 15 years to learn I would say which was pretty poor um and I don't think most people want to spend that long to become successful at what they do so um my kind of idea of sharing it was to help people get to a level of success that I feel like I've achieved now, but much quicker and with far fewer mistakes. So yeah, I just kind of was playing about with the idea of maybe I've got something with the book. So the myths kind of adapted and changed as I was going along through the process. I found that some 
just didn't feel strong enough to fit into that format, the kind of the myth, the reality and the advice. Um, so it chopped and changed a bit. I didn't write them in any sort of order, but I did start with that kind of fundamental structure of these are the myths and then the rest kind of bolted on around it, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I quite liked the fact as well, and this is something that I have blogged about um, uh, sort of on LinkedIn and sort of put out there, is the fact that uh, telling your story quite often gives you that kind of... Um, people people are more trusting in what you're going to say if they know where you've come from so they know what process you've been through in order to be able to have the experience and the voice the authentic voice to tell them how they should do things so tell us a little bit about your story how you came to to be a freelance person and also the writing what is the writing something that you've always done so how, how did you start? Um, so, oh, it's a very long story. And I do go into a bit more detail in the book in the kind of intro section, because as you say, you, it, it's it's that thing that kind of qualifies me, I guess, to write it. And um, I did have a bit of feedback from somebody when I sent out my kind of draft manuscript saying, oh, you know, I feel like this section is too long and it's not really relevant. And I was kind of like, but it, it sort of is, I think it's very easy to get defensive over that kind of thing, isn't it? But I think it is relevant. And a lot of people have said that they found that intro section really energizing, which is a strange choice of word, but a lovely word. Um, so yeah, I basically didn't go to uni. I wanted to go straight out to work um, from doing my A-levels, wanted to get a bit of independence that way. Um was brought up in an environment where we were extremely short of money. So I wanted to kind of stand on my own two feet financially. Um, went and did an admin job for a financial services company for three years. Moved to another financial services company when I met my ex-husband in 1991. Um, worked there for a couple of years. And then their marketing department relocated up to Cheltenham from London. So I thought, oh, marketing sounds like a piece of me. I'll, I'll give that a go. It sounds quite creative, interesting. Um, and yeah, I applied and I kind of very much got trained on the job. I didn't have the, the sort of academic experience of learning the, um, the practicalities and the strategies, but I was very much trained on the job. Um, it was kind of early 90s and training budgets were big. So I benefited from that. And then a couple of years later, I'd worked my way up to being their publications controller with my own little team nicknamed the Coloured Pencils because we were seen as the creatives again. Um, and yeah, after that, they decided to make a third of their marketing department redundant. And they were offering very, very comfortable redundancy packages. So I thought, okay, I'll see if I can get a job working for our publishing company who were based in Clifton in Bristol. Um, applied for a job there, got a job as an editor and an account manager and stayed there for three years then got pregnant with my daughter and long story short they didn't want to accommodate part-time working or remote working so my boss actually suggested that I went freelance and said that they would provide me with kind of proofreading and editing work to tide me over at least in the beginning and that went on for years actually I think probably the first 
probably the first 10 years, I did bits and pieces of work for them. And yeah, that was that was the catalyst, actually. So I found myself very much in this position where I was doing two things I knew nothing about being a mum on the one hand and running a business on the other hand. And it was um, tough times. Um, But really, I took it seriously from day one. I, well, semi-seriously, I designed my own logo using Comic Sans, no less. And I was really proud of it. I had my own letterhead and my own comp slips and my own business cards. And um, yeah, I went out there full on to begin with to, I had to find some clients and it was very much, what do I need to do? And I didn't know any of this. I hadn't learned any of this. I knew nothing about writing a business. So I guess when I started writing the book, my intention was very much to share everything that 29 year old me would have loved to have known back then that would have shortcuts my journey to success because I wouldn't have made the same mistakes that I made. Yeah, I mean, I did a, I did a similar thing. I remember doing my, my letterheads and buying the nice paper. That was when you actually put them in an envelope and put them in the post box. Yeah, yep. I, mean, I mean, times have changed so much now. It, it really is. It's, it's it's unbelievable isn't it when you look back and you think of what of what we what we had to go through back then you know no internet no you know no social media no, social no online media. networking no zoom yeah. no video calls nothing I know it is really phenomenal isn't it I think yeah. actually back then in 1999 I think you and I probably would have thought this was a bit space age you know yeah. you're talking to someone and they're actually not in yeah. the same room as you yeah. but you can see them yeah, like I a hologram had, or something. Yeah, I had a friend that I went to, uh, we did fashion college, we were to fashion college together and oh, she wow. went off to BT and did technical stuff. So I, where that came from, I don't know. Um, but I remember saying to her back in the 90s, probably 99, um, and she was saying, oh, we'll, we'll all have mobile phones soon. And I can remember saying to her, don't be ridiculous. Was, was um, 9-11, was that 2001 or 2002? Uh, one, yeah. So I distinctly remember I was freelancing for um, Cheltenham Borough Council at the time and I was working in their kind of marketing department doing the design layout for their customer newspaper that went around every household in the borough. I was doing the the words and the pictures, um, which was kind of quite fun times actually. But I remember the guy who was their kind of established graphic designer coming in and saying, oh yeah, I've just been chatting to my friend and he reckons there's gonna be these things called smartphones and you're basically gonna have a camera on your phone. And I was like, you what? Because I I got a mobile phone really early. I remember I was working at Eagle Star, so it would have been, early early 90s and I was one of the first people I knew but I have always been a bit of an early adopter when it comes to tech yeah so yeah kind of doesn't yeah I was the opposite I think I mean I'm embracing it now but yeah back then (laughs) no I can't I can't but what interests me though from what you've just said is that that's kind of creative you kind of went oh creative I didn't realize I was oh so even back then there was something in you uh, that that wanted that creative that that creative work. So so where do you think yeah. that came from? I think 
there's this sort of a bit of a dichotomy in me that I I've never really seen myself as being creative and I only really recently like I'm talking weeks ago um remembered really distinctly a conversation I was in my grandparents house and my mum and my nana were having a conversation about a program that my mum had seen on tv about um the difference in children who were considered to be creative and those who weren't and she said that there was this experiment where they had a picture of a dog and they said so um, they asked the children how they could change the dog and the creative children would uh, well the non creative children would say oh well you could um, make him brown instead of black or you can give him a a longer tail or you could change the color of his eyes and um, the creative children were saying oh you could you could give him fleas or you could um give him a sparkly collar and all this kind of thing and she was using this discussion to say um my sister is completely creative and I wasn't creative at all and I only really realized that very recently that I've kind of been fighting against that a little bit all my life and even though I only just recalled the conversation it's defined me I think to some to some extent I actually had a conversation about it with my mum the other day and she's like oh well you're completely different <laughs> and I thought yeah well we are my sister and I are very different but having you know hearing something like that about yourself at such a young age it kind of puts you in a box yeah and I think that yeah I have always I always used to win the English prize at school for example for writing stories never been good at art therefore am I creative am I not I don't know but then I've got an eye for design so my home is very I don't know you can see very much of it but yeah. everything's very color coordinated and kind of different styles and kind of eclectic elements and things so again that's a type of creativity and I've always kind of gone towards it but I would never define myself as creative I do a creative job I write for a living but I would never say, oh, I'm, you know, the most creative copywriter because I don't see myself as a bigger picture person. I'm a nitty gritty detail person. That's just the way my brain is wired and that's fine. But being a nitty gritty detail person enabled me to put my creative idea into a format that became a best-selling book. Yeah. So yeah I guess now was the grand old age of 51 I guess now is the time where I have to actually say well yeah I suppose I am quite creative even though it's not something that I've ever described myself as yeah it's funny, I mean it's, it is quite um, it is amazing that it doesn't take much because I think everybody looks at sort of creative people at, or they they look basically they look at artists don't they they look yes. at musicians they look at people that can draw a picture they look at people that can paint and they say well they are creative they're the person that's creative but actually mm -hmm. what you're describing and even with your you know the kids looking at the dog it's 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 about what you know what happens in your brain it's not mm. about what comes out of your fingers mm. so it's it's actually you know a, a thought process and so yeah. How would you define creativity then if you if you've only recently come to the to the to the conclusion that you are creative and you have been all these years what would you what would you have defined creativity as I actually think that's such a difficult question and I guess it's it's because I think I struggle with the answer to that because 
I'm not sure I've got it clear in my head now because I think I thought it was being artistic. Like you've just said, you're an artist or a musician or a performer of some sort. And my kids and my mum and my sister, interestingly enough, are all phenomenal at art. Whereas I can't draw for toffee. But then when I was younger, I used to create logos for companies I remember creating an OXO logo and writing to them at the age of about 10 and saying oh I've come up with a new logo for you and it was the O and the X and the O made a face with a little mouth underneath with a little tongue sticking out and they took the time to write back to me and explain where the logo had come from because it was PG tips and the leaves of tea and the square OXO cube or whatever but yeah obviously there was some element and I kind of always thought design is different to art and I've been very design led I've got a ridiculously perfectionist sort of eye for things so it I I spot things like bad kerning in in um, lettering and typography and that kind of thing so I guess creativity is just so much wider than I had perhaps assumed because it's also in things like um, how you, well, I guess how you give responses to questions. Not everybody is ever going to answer the same question in the same way. So we're all creative in our own way, coming up with ideas and brainstorming things like that. That's quite a creative process. Um, and it might be, I always forget, is it left-brained or right-brained? I don't know. I've, left is the more creative. I don't know. Uh, don't quote yeah. me. So I, I, I think um, I've always considered myself to be quite, weirdly, I'm not a numbers person at all, but weirdly I'm quite logical and the way I process things I consider to be quite logical rather than quite creative because I'm quite regimented in the way I need to do a lot of things. So I have little rituals and things like this. I'm actually quite, I try not to use the term OCD now, but it's, it's, it's because I've read a book by somebody who has it properly and like it's, you know, but I am ridiculously particular about the way things have to be. Um, and I guess I kind of always saw that as being anti-creative yeah. because it's a system and a process. So, um, yeah, I don't think I really answered your question, but I don't think I know how to right now. In that case, then, is, is creativity a process? I mean, it's, it, it must be a process. I mean, I guess a lot of people who are proper true artists would say, oh, no, you know, it's just free form expression, whereas I don't find it particularly easy to free form express myself. Um, I think it can be both, can't it? As a, uh, you know, I did this creativity presentation last week and I obviously had to write a presentation and I was looking into different things of, as how, you know, what different people thought of different things of creativity and at the end this woman um a direct messaged me and said is it I, i'm confused is it being an artist or is it problem solving and oh, yeah. and i had to kind of think and think well actually it encompasses everything mm. but then if you talk about creativity in the broader sense we create every time we think a thought we we create that thought so you know it, it's such a huge spectrum isn't it and I think mm. people get intimidated by people that are able to draw and you know create wonderful music and and mm. you know write books and things like that so I think it's um people get intimidated by that kind of creativity but we are all we're all on that spectrum aren't we we're all there somewhere very much so and, it, and it's interesting isn't it because 
it's it's that kind of creativity that is productive so yeah. I I you know I produced a book and I self-published and I did every stitch of the only thing I didn't do was the layout and the you know but but the the actual all the marketing all the spreading the word all the publicity yes I'm a marketing copywriter but I usually just do the words um I don't actually get involved in spreading the word and and getting the message out there for for the brands that I work with um so yeah that that was all a completely new process to me and that's something that I did myself and in a way you could kind of go well you're taking a creative look at a problem like that lady said and you're finding different ways like thinking outside the box different ways of of solving a problem or a challenge yeah yeah now I've always seen it as, as a kind of a, a problem solving thing it's that it's that sort of spark of inspiration or I think uh, Joseph Jaffe who we we discussed earlier was on the uh, a guest last week this week can't remember when um but he he described it as productive originality <laughs> which basically he it, it is you know producing something um yeah. doing something actually being actively doing something but you know working originally so if if you're doing something that has purpose and has a meaning to it then you are creating as long as, you, oh. as, long as you're doing it with authenticity i suppose then you're coming up with with stuff that's that's different but it is it's doing even my, I asked my dad this, <laughs> what do you think creativity is? And he said, it's, it's doing. I like that. Nice and simple. Nice and simple. I mean, you could even, I mean, it, it's just, you, yeah, I, I think one thing, I'm sorry to turn it back to the book, but I think that one thing that's worth mentioning is just how important creativity is in the kind of realm of well-being and self-care. And I have to say, I never intended the book to be um, exclusively for creatives. Um, it's certainly not just for copywriters, but I have to say because of the circles that I move in in social media, um, a lot of people who've read it have been designers, illustrators, photographers, copywriters, editors, etc. So I think that those people, and I'm including myself in this, find it often very difficult to unwind because we love what we do and we get often so into the production and the working on the deadlines and it's not that we feel specifically pushed or pressed by our clients to deliver it's kind of the pressure that we put on ourselves because we want to do the best possible job and what that often means is that we can kind of be careering towards like stress becomes overwhelm and then you're risking burnout and one of the best ways to unwind is to actually get into some form of activity that is that creates this state of flow um I won't attempt to pronounce the guy's name um who came up with that concept it's um it's in the book <coughs> excuse me but um, it's those things that we can get involved in, like even from doing a jigsaw puzzle or uh, um, painting a picture. I kind of always say that I don't, I don't draw, but my son's got this amazing drawing app on my iPad and it's called Procreate. And it's fantastic. You can set these documents up and create kind of kaleidoscopic images. And I love doing that. I could lose hours doing that if I'm kind of, um so yeah producing something like that but it could be gardening couldn't it if your if your thing is 
getting outdoors in nature and you like yeah. producing something like a beautiful border or whatever that's creativity as well so I think it's really important for creative people especially to take a break from their core creativity and focus on something that actually just distracts their mind and helps them press that reset button yeah. that is so necessary in kind of stress relief and proper relaxation and, and yeah. just taking care of yourself really absolutely I mean burnout was one of the, the words that I picked up on in in your book and how you know it, it, I've been a freelancer for many many years and it, yeah you do have that point of worrying where the next job's coming from and you know making sure everybody's happy and doing the job properly and juggling mm. everything else mm. um, and so that sort of that is really really important to sort of let people know that actually you you can do I mean I've, I'm a big uh, fan of playing so okay. <laughs> I teach uh, drama and I do uh, adults I, I do um, acting classes with adults and that's our time to play as much as I'm the facilitator I'm there telling them what to do um, to see them improvise it's just it's a joy it's a, it's fun you know and they leave after two hours laughing and you know you can you can see the relief so that's you know I just love that kind of idea of of sort of, you know, just improvising. And I think, you know, negative self-care, I think we had a brief conversation earlier about negative self-care and it made me remember, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh yes, negative self-talk, that was it. Mm -hmm. Is um, it's been proven, they've done a re um, some research, I can't remember the guy's name, Dr. Charles Lim, I think it was his name. He researched some hip hop musicians um, and found that when, they were actually uh, improvising at, at music, doing their music. Yeah. They, they managed to switch off the inner critic. Yeah. And that's something that improvising and playing and doing anything like that, if you're doing it effectively, if you're kind of getting lost in a creative activity, be it gardening, be, in, be it baking, um, that actually, that inner critic disappears. So imposter syndrome, all those sort of things that we, you know, we kind of beat ourselves up with on the inside. You know, if you, could, if you can play, whatever it might be you kind of you can calm that it in a critic and it, it, it then opens you up to be more creative interesting it's quite it's it's funny that you mentioned that actually because talking about the improvisation I actually did theatre studies for a level my oh. son's studying drama for a level now and he's brilliant at it but I preferred the theory to the practice because we used to I've got this really strong memory now that I haven't thought about for years of being in the the drama studio and we had to improvise being in a supermarket and stopping and having a conversation with somebody and um and I, and I thought oh I can't do it I can't do this I can't do this because because I'm not creative um and I couldn't think of anything to say and I find role play and that kind of thing or oh, I did I don't know if I still do now because I haven't done it for 30 years. I've got to stop putting these limits on myself. But I, I used to find it really difficult. So I don't think that sort of play comes naturally to everybody. No. It's, I guess something that you benefit from working on. You benefit from working on. Yes. And is it, even, even if I'm put in that situation where I have to improvise, I don't like it. But actually, when you kind of just just let it go it's you know yeah. it's it's easy to say not so easy to do but you know we bind ourselves up with so many restrictions as we get mm. older that mm. we forget how to play really it's mm. you know, it's one of those things I would love to go back to something that I saw um I think it was on your website and it was a um 
uh, a quote by Nelson Mandela, which I love. Yes, I love that, yeah. yeah. So if you talk to a man in a language he understands, it goes to, it goes to his head. If you talk to him in his language, it goes to his heart, which I just mm. love that. So what, yeah. what do words mean to you then? Because, you know, in, in terms of creativity, it is an amazing way to be creative. Mm. Yeah, well, it's the ability to change the way people think, isn't it? We're at the kind of greatest level. Um, you've got the power to persuade and influence people. And, and from a marketing perspective, obviously, that's really important. But it can be just something as simple as sort of making somebody have an emotional reaction in some way so you can touch somebody's heart or um you can you could shock them or you could inspire them into taking action so yeah it, it, it's everything really so when did when did you discover words when did you sort of start writing um i guess I mean I always used to get the English prize at school I can't ever remember what for but um it was certainly something that I used to get good marks on at school but um whether I actually I I, I really don't know I think I've always kind of done bits of writing throughout my life but I've never felt that it was the one thing that drove me which is weird um but yeah it, it's it's come and gone at various stages throughout my life but it's um certainly since starting being a copywriter it, it's it's such a focus and I I like to read in my spare time as most people do but I find I was thinking about this the other day because a lot of the subject matter that I have to write about in my job is quite technical stuff so often people will send me um, documents that really they're quite impenetrable and they need transforming into a way that really anybody can pick up and understand. Um, and that's something that happens a lot. And it's also the sort of challenge that I really love because um, I just think it's my superpower to take complex information and make it super simple. And um, often it's like a translation sort of process. Mm -hmm. And it is quite taxing on the brain. So when I read, I tend to just pick up a bestseller and, I, and I'm not reading anything kind of academic. And um, another copywriter does this thing, um, Catherine Wildman, called um, The Writing Desk, where she interviews various copywriters, asks them a range of questions. And she said, oh, you know, what's your favourite book? And I was like... I can't really admit that you know it's something by Lisa Jewell or Marion Keys or somebody who's kind of more of a, a chick lit kind of author um whereas I was thinking that people were going to be saying like war and peace and um yeah I, I don't know so I think I, I settled on um Pride and Prejudice which I absolutely love but I have to say it's probably more the film adaptation with Kira Knightley that I've watched a million times over um, because yeah when I'm actually reading I prefer to read for escapism and I just love the way that writing can create new worlds it can take you somewhere uh, and especially at the moment the situation yeah. that we find ourselves in I think reading for escapism is a great that's not being creative that's kind of being receptive isn't it but it's it's a very good way to find flow for me. Do you ever write for pleasure at, at the moment? Or have you in the last sort of few years? Well, writing the book was for pleasure, really. It's a weird one because it, 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 it felt like it kind of wrote itself. There were bits where I was like, oh, you know, banging my head against the brick wall. But it, 
generally speaking, it felt like it just flowed. And like I sort of mentioned earlier, I didn't do it in the kind of, I didn't start at page one and finish on page 220. I chopped and changed all the time. So I would feel the creative urge, there I go again, um, telling me that I wanted to write a bit about imposter syndrome that day or about what to charge or um, about kind of the the traits and the qualities that can help you be a successful freelancer. So I would always be going with my instinct. Um, and I found it really thoroughly enjoyable writing the book and, and so energizing. And this is why I have to keep, very much keep a, a, a watchful eye on whether I'm like on the verge of burnout or I'm kind of, because the adrenaline just carries me. And I go for reflexology um, outside of current times, but I go for reflexology fairly regularly. And I went in this one day and I just sent off the first draft of the manuscript completed to all my test readers. And I was just on an act, a proper high. And she had to take me, she had to ground my energy a little bit. And she said, oh, you're a handful today. And it used to, it used to just be that when I am creating, I get so energized by it. My energy is very, very like last couple of weeks, various things happening. My energy has been non-existent. And weirdly, I was dreading getting back to work. I was thinking, oh, I don't feel like I can contribute to social media. I don't feel like I've got anything to say. I felt flat. My energy was like through the floor. And yesterday when I switched my Mac on for the first time in a couple of weeks, as soon as I started working on the, I thought, oh, I forget every time I forget how much I actually love my job and how great it is to be back creating again. So yeah, no, I guess I tend to kind of absorb and receive creativity more in my downtime because yeah. I am putting creativity out there yeah. day to day. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, going back to Joseph Jaffe, talking to him about Corona TV, that he created in lockdown and and for him that was his release that was yeah. you know for his own well-being um, and it feels from what you're saying that the book that's what the book has done for you so so when you look at the book it's the whole process went through those sort of beginning months of of lockdown yeah oh yeah no well it did I mean I think I had um so the the, the very first lockdown was end of March last year and I had already finished the first draft of the manuscript by then and it was already with my test readers so um the only way that I know how to to do things this is just the way I'm wired um when I got the idea I knew I had to chuck myself in it a million percent and I was literally I would talk in my sleep about it and I'd be having ideas of things that I hadn't included that I wanted to include and um things that I wanted to chop out in my sleep so it's quite potentially exhausting and this is why I kind of have to keep a close eye on it and this is why the, the focus of the book is very much um, take care of yourself because you can't pour from an empty cup and um, yeah it's like putting your oxygen mask on first isn't it you, yeah. you do yeah. need to take care of yourself because otherwise you can't possibly do your best work particularly if your work is creative there's nothing there's no reserves to give from yeah um so yeah um I've forgotten where we were going with that yeah no no I, I think it is that uh, you know what 
through lockdown is, is something that's kept you going. So whether obviously the book and the process of the book, I can't believe that you wrote the book in, in less than three months and had a first, had a first draft ready to, to go out to readers. Yeah, the reason I did it that way is because I gave myself, once I'd had the idea, I gave myself a month of client work. So I was writing solidly. So I know a lot of people who say, oh yeah, yeah I've been working on my manuscript for a couple of years. I can't do it that way. When I have something that needs to be done. So for example, later this month, um, I am doing a presentation for Enterprise Nation um, about freelance survival skills. And, um, and I know when I sit down and produce the Canva slides, in fact, I've almost done them, um, I, it won't take me long to do, but it's getting the information out of here and out of here yeah. into a different type of format, that, a format that I'm used to talking freeform like this, not questions in advance, no prep, just talking about these issues. But when it comes to structuring a presentation, that's outside my comfort zone. So I want to have it nailed like on day one uh, and my brain is with it if yeah. I'm if I if I don't have it done in, in good time I'm like the person who packs two weeks before a holiday you know it's <laughs> it's all that sort of thing it's all connected I think but yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean yeah. It, I'm I'm doing um, an open university creative writing degree at the moment wow but it is that it I get I get lost in it I you know it takes me it takes me ages and I do a lot of procrastination. And when I did the creativity presentation last week, the guy, the the, the guy that was sort of leading the, the Zoom call was, how how can procrastination be creative? But to me, it's it is that time where you, where you can kind of structure everything in your head. It's all in there. And then when it comes down to to writing it, it, it then all comes out. <laughs> Does that make sense to I you? I get that completely, but I wouldn't call that procrastination. I just think that's all part of the process because uh, procrastination has such a negative implication, doesn't it? doesn't it? It makes it feel like, oh, you're putting off doing it because you can't be bothered or you can't get motivated or whatever. But but I don't I don't I do that, but I don't call that procrastination. I just see it as part of the preparation of the process for the process of writing. It's uh, interesting. Yeah, well, perhaps I won't call it that anymore. But yeah, it's that, it's that kind of going out for a walk or yes. doing the hoovering instead of actually sitting down and writing. But that's, that, that's not procrastination, I swear. Like if I get writer's block or I'm trying to kind of solve a problem, I will get up from my desk. And this is yeah. the problem. Too many people just sit in front of their desk and expect the inspiration to strike, but it doesn't. So you need to get out and about like I when gyms are open I go swimming and I actually had the idea for well so originally the book and the blog post I think was called survival skills for freelancers and then it had a subtitle how to go solo without going loco and the reason that worked for me I loved that kind of so low loco like I just I, I love that but because the forward for the book is written by Simon Blake, who is chief exec of Mental Health First Aid England, he's very, um, he has very strong, and rightfully so, he has very strong views on positive language around mental health. And I thought it was kind of playful enough to get away with. And then I thought, no, maybe not. So, but I came up with that title when I was swimming and I often get my best ideas when I'm not thinking about them. Yeah. So that is a really important part of the process. Go out for a walk on the hills or go to the beach and yeah. you're still thinking about it. It's still, it's like per 
it's like it's percolating in your brain you know yeah. yes yeah I mean it, it is that yes absolutely so perhaps I shouldn't call it procrastination <laughs> it's like I, a slow I don't know we need to come up with a better word for it for sure I don't know I, I've never really tried to think and, and put a word on it but it's definitely part of the creative process yes and so just thinking about the creative process and work over the, the lockdown that we've all been through over the last few months we we have met virtually we've never met person in, in you yeah. know person with the you are the media network yeah and we both went to the at the quiz uh, night before christmas which you would very creatively put together all the questions which i thought was amazing and uh, thank goodness for canva i mean how brilliant was that that looked it, it looked amazing I had so, to learn canva to do that jackie i literally yeah. i've never used canva before and i had to learn it to do the quiz ah see now, <laughs> now you've got that skill see i had to learn how to use imovie and edit which I am now, because all, all my classes went online. So rather than having a, a performance at the end of a term or a, a set of sessions, I recorded them on Zoom. We did it all on Zoom. And then I, I edited together like a little film. Um, but that's something I'm really proud of learning during lockdown. Is there anything that you have, have what's your takeaway from lockdown? Is it the, the networking? Is it Zoom? Oh. Is it more creative stuff? A lot of people didn't use Zoom before lockdown. I used it loads. I'm very much about getting a sense of the person and I find it so much easier to, it, there's a chapter in the book about fit, about working, finding the clients that are the right fit for you and for your business. And I think it's really important for me, like, I'm very much a visual person and I get, it's not just what the person looks like, it's their energy, their mannerisms, the way they speak, the way they smile, all those things are so important that I always used to steer people towards having the discovery call as a Zoom. Um, so Zoom wasn't new for me. Zoom networking, yeah, I guess it was. But in terms of one takeaway, I, I, I mean... I guess I'm very, very fortunate in that I can still do my job pretty much unaffected by being in lockdown, apart from the fact that there are more people in the house, which kind of drives me crazy. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I realise now that I'm very fortunate in having a job that can just adapt. Um, but I guess in terms of learning point, I guess, learning how to self-publish and market and sell a book because that's certainly something I that is a huge learning curve by the way absolutely yeah. phenomenal and I ended up with it within about two months of starting the book process with a lever arch file like this with notes and and structure and um yeah all sorts of things printed off and and collected so that's probably the biggest takeout, but also, yeah, learning how to do Canva was really important because I, I guess I never really thought through what would happen after publishing the book because I certainly never thought that people would start approaching me to, to run group mentoring sessions, um, which I'm doing for the Freelance Her 100 project, for example, and I've done various Q&As live I'm doing for the CIPR and the um, the ITI and pro copywriters and freelance heroes and this kind of thing 
And I love doing those, these things, loads of podcast interviews. And I love them because I love conversations and I find conversations extremely creative. But I hadn't been asked before to put what I know into a talk format and for me that's outside my comfort zone so that's the new thing I always believe in pushing yourself outside your comfort zone so for me that is the current thing that I'm working on first of all I need to get to grips with the slides the structure but then delivering it in such a way that is has more of this kind of live free form and less kind of rehearsed reading off a slide so yeah I, I like I like the learning process and I think it's super important to always always learn because it does keep you keeps your brain so tuned in keeps you young I think yeah it does I mean I've I've loved doing this um degree you know over the last five years you know it's something it's a every month I look forward to the the assignment because I know it's you know I need to start honing in and learning and the other thing about lockdown is just the time to actually get lost in a in a rabbit hole of um, mm. Google and you know what you know what can I learn today who can I listen to podcasts yeah. and all these sort of stuff so yeah, yeah I think it's I think I've, I've loved it for that so just before we uh, we disappear off this podcast I have to I have to bring up the dancing so, oh <laughs> you were telling me before we started recording that you have uh, you have a bit of a dance background and at the age of 49 which I can't even believe you're 49 you don't even look like now let alone back then you qualified for the UK street dance so how, yeah how did that come about and and dancing is you know creative in itself how how, how have you got into yeah. dancing well when, when I was younger um I think I touched on the fact that my family didn't have any money but my grand my granddad was hugely into ballet and he used to go to they lived in they lived in London he lived in London when he was a young man and he used to go to um, Sadler's Wells and um, watch the ballet and he was so passionate about it they my grandparents taught me my love of dance they used to do old time modern sequence and ballroom dancing until they were well into their 70s and I had ballet lessons that my granddad paid for And um, I actually gave them up when I kind of shot up in height and then I suddenly felt really ungainly and just, it just wasn't working, but I did it for quite a few years. And then when I stopped doing that, I started going to the ballroom dance and Latin classes with my grandparents. I was by far the youngest person there to dance with all the old men. And, um, And then from that, I kind of did various different types of dance, kind of found my niche in salsa for a while, did a bit of salsa teaching for a couple of years before my dad died. Um, And then not so long ago, started, well, sort of joined a street dance crew. And um, I've always really been into hip hop dance and um, break dancing, weirdly, and that kind of, not doing break dancing myself, I hasten to add, but all those movies, street dance and step up and this kind of thing. Um, Save the Last Dance, all these movies really inspired me. And I thought, oh, well, you know, there's there's nothing to stop me going along to these classes. Sort of started off and really enjoyed it. But I have to say, (laughs) at the age I am now, it's knackering on your joints. It's really bad. (laughs) It makes me feel really old. But I've just, I've damaged my knee this year. And it's only just now starting to recover. I feel like I've lost all my flexibility. And it's kind of 
soul destroying, but such is life. Um, but yeah, so I went along to these classes and we started entering with the competitions. And I have to say, I'm sure the only reason um, I qualified was because there was very little competition in the upper age group, shall we say. But I decided to kind of leave it on a high um, and it coincided with injuries. So I just kind of dipped out at that point. But it's just quite a nice little story to be able to tell. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Something that nobody would necessarily expect. Yeah. No, I mean, I love, I love street dancing. I love dancing, but again, my knees are, are not what they used to be. But I have to say, I've discovered yoga in lockdown, and so I've been doing a little bit of uh, Adrian yoga every morning in lockdown. So that's that's what's oh, got me through. So for sure. Oh well, thank you for to the very creative Sarah Townsend <laughs> for, for being on my podcast today. Tell us where where people can find you. Uh, well, in terms of social media, I guess I'm most active on Twitter and LinkedIn, although I have to say I took a bit of a detox over Christmas and I haven't been back on a great deal. Um, but any if the easiest way to find me is go to survivalskillsforfreelancers.com because that has links to my copywriting website, all my social media, email address, finding the book on Amazon, etc, etc. So survivalskillsforfreelancers.com. Excellent. Thank you. And I do apologise for the darkness. I've got a feeling that when I switch off from here, I will do something on my camera and suddenly it'll all go. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. I was obviously because I've got a light. I've got the lights on. So apologies for that. Good luck with the with the book and, and uh, every all your endeavours going forward. And I look forward to seeing you in a Zoom room very, very soon. So thank yeah. you so much. Lovely to talk to you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. thank you for listening. And please subscribe, follow or like. And if you'd like more information on me or my guests, or would like to know how we could work together, then visit the website www.atticasarts.com. I'd love to hear from you. Take care.